Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing up another episode in our self-care series, today being on the relationship between self-care and intimacy. But of course, before we begin, (laughs) just a quick favor to ask. If you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they help us reach more people. So of course, we'd appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Today's show is uh, one of many now in our self-care series. Once a month, we're focusing on a new area of self-care. Life gets overwhelming. We were just talking about that on the on the pre-show, Gina, our little catch-up. All of us, we get overwhelmed and, and get, we get lost in the sea of to-dos and worry and anxiety. Is It's just inevitable. So self-care can be described as the active process of making your body and mind a pleasant place to inhabit by filling your own cup first, ensuring you have enough to give others. With such a huge topic like self-care, we're unpacking it one topic at a time and today talking on the the relationship between intimacy and self-care. So right out of the gates, first things first, intimacy, I admit, and I don't know about you, Gina, but I think of a physical relationship first. You too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll maybe start there or get there and, and then move away from there quickly. But that's not always the case. Intimacy is simply a close familiarity or friendship or simply just closeness, uh, that really strong connectedness. I term it really just the quality of a relationship. And poor self-care directly impacts the level of intimacy we can experience, uh, affecting certainly our lives as well as those of others. So lots here to discuss. And I found a really great uh, site that I linked in the show notes that really talked about, and I'm not going to go through all of them quite here, but some signs that self-care is weak in your life uh, and how intimacy may be impacted. The first being irritability, irritability, uh, which is often often leads to saying or doing things you later regret. I'm certainly there quite a bit. It seems more lately than not. You can resonate that resonates with you, Gina. Irritability. Um, of course. Of just course. this morning, I had actually I didn't tell you a similar experience as as you with rushing out of the car this morning with my kids and just angry and pulling out the driveway. But yes, I was very irritable. <laughs> it's just no good way to start the day. And our poor children, they get the they I know get the worst I know. of us. I, I always feel so guilty. I know. Um. Yeah. So we we've been there. Uh Attempting to control people, places, or things over which you have no control, which leads to frustration and unhappiness. I think you're better at this one than me. What? Attempting to control people? Maybe accepting (laughs) that you can't and just coming to terms with that? No, I am definitely not better at you than this. My problem is my, I am a control freak. Um, and I have not quite, and actually I'm going to talk about it a little bit, but I'm still trying to grasp onto this idea that I'm unable to control my kids. You know, I can control them in what, in a way a parent's supposed to control them, but like, I can't force my kids to eat what I, what I want them to eat or wear with what I want them to wear, but I still think I can, you know, same with Nick. I try to control his happiness, but I know I can't. So no, I'm not, I'm not good at, the, at accepting this yet. I'm, I'm working on it. All right. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I have work to do in that one too. What about manipulation, which is an indirect, ineffective, and often harmful way of attempting to get our needs met? I think of this one in terms of sex a lot, especially in maybe more mature relationships where sex may not be so hot and heavy all the time. I don't, I don't know. I have a lot mm. of friends who use manipulation to get what they want in the bedroom. Oh my gosh. Explain that. I, I mean, yeah, just like bribery. If, yeah. Almost like okay. if you do this, then I'll do that. Like just manipulating some type of a situation to um, guilt Ooh. or Ooh, just yikes. a game playing <laughs> to get what you want. I mean, Nick and I will do that in fun you know, sort of teasing ways, but in a good way, I feel like, like if I do this, you're doing this. And, and then, you know, okay, that's fine. Well, if I do this, you're doing that, but in a good way, mm-hmm. not a negative way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, yeah, that's interesting. I, yeah. to me, that's a sign of, of needing to improve on your intimacy, in my opinion. Agreed. If you're right. Okay. Absolutely. What about resentment or victim anger? Mm-hmm. I kind of like that victim anger, which frequently leads to arguments laced with blaming and shame. Mm-hmm. Resentment. resentment is a big one. That was one that I that I mentioned the other day when I talked with Terry. One of the, I think it was one of the four, you know, signs of a poor relationship is resentment. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of them. Yeah. But yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. And we talked about our two episodes ago. Um, uh, we interviewed our husbands and talked through about, yeah, just resentment and, and marriage over time. So, so yeah. go on back to that episode. Another sign that self-care is weak is criticism of others, expressed or unexpressed, which is always damaging to relationships. Uh, so yeah. thinking about those relationships closest to you and and simply criticism. I mean, that's it. it's not a helpful place to be. And lastly, mm-hmm expecting others to anticipate and or take care of your needs rather than taking responsibility for yourself. And that is a great launching point into kind of the discussion today. Uh, But our takeaways here, when your self-care is high, you have internal resources of energy and a sense of well-being, not only to experience that high quality connection with others, but to also refrain from actions that damage intimacy. So those those things that we just mentioned. And when we take responsibility for our own self-care and happiness, we automatically release others from any responsibility to take care of or make our our own selves happy, uh, which isn't their job to begin with. And I just had to like sit with that for a minute just to just to think on it's not anyone else's responsibility but my own to make me happy. And that is such a depressing thought, but such a real just a reality. I I don't know. That that kinda, <sighs> that kind of hit me. <laughs> it 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 does. And I and I know that. And I know I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast. I'm gonna talk about it here. But one of my biggest things lately is, and I think I actually talked about it with Nick on our interview, is that sometimes I feel like he doesn't take care of himself. And then that in turn makes me unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I think about what you just said, and it's so true. It's not anyone else's responsibility to make me happy. But at the same time, it's not like I'm, it's not like that's a purposeful thought of mine. When he isn't taking care of himself, it's not like I'm purposefully thinking, well, this is making me unhappy. It just does. When I see my spouse and the person I love not taking care of themselves, it causes me stress, um, but it isn't. I but then when I tell him that, he feels like he's then responsible to make me happy, and he gets all you know. It's it's a it's a burden on him, or it's a it's a lot of pressure. I don't know where I'm going at with this, but I do agree. It, it is not anyone else's responsibility to make us happy. It is only our responsibility. But 
I'm just, I'm such an, I maybe I'm an, um, what is the word? Em- empath. Empathic. Yeah. Empath. So much like to my core, I feel like I just feel everyone's. Well, I'm curious because you've mentioned it a couple of times on the show now. When you talk about you wish Nick had better self-care behaviors for himself, mm-hmm. give me yeah. give me like some bullet points of what that it would entail. Mm-hmm. I feel like he specifically when self-care as far as his mental and emotional health. Okay. I feel like he's he's stressed a lot and irritable a lot. And I think to myself, if I was as stressed and irritable as he was, what would I do to take care of my self-care? That would be a huge gap for me. What would I do to fulfill it? I would see a counselor. I would maybe even go on medicine for it for a little bit or forever. I would I would do something to fix it and to make it better. Start meditating, um, doing things for myself, going out and you know, finding a new hobby. I'm just waiting for him to start doing these things. Mm-hmm. And it frustrates me. It frustrates me that he doesn't. So yeah. Does that kind of answer mm-hmm. your question? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, not that he doesn't ever. And, and it's certain seasons, I think, like in the winter, his big hobby is golf. He is a golfer. Yeah. He loves to golf. What, we live in Ohio. Like, What's he supposed to? He's not. He can't golf in, in the winter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, today was a beautiful day. It would have been a nice day to golf, but he obviously had to work. But take a day off and go golfing. I mean, sometimes I'm just like, go, dude. I mean, I do all these things for myself and then I start to feel guilty. I know we're getting way off topic here, (laughs) but I do all these things. You know, I go out with my friends. I make spa dates. I do all this stuff. And then when he's not doing it, then I feel guilty. So that is another reason why I wish he would do that more often. So I don't feel guilty when I do it. Oh, here we go. Now we're getting to it. Here's the truth. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love that you're good at it and you're super clear with boundaries. Like you mean what you say and you say what you mean. And I love that about you. Mm. I want to be more like that. And I think it's a great quality. Okay. We've digressed. All right. Digging in a little bit here. Having listened a bit ago now to the above signs (laughs) that there's, you know, some poor self-care going on or signs of poor health poor self signs of poor self-care. Is there one sign that kind of resonates with you most as an area of opportunity? Yeah. Well, first of all, I was just thinking, I wrote a little note here. I think of the the self-care word nourishment. Like you're not really giving yourself good self-care if you're not nourishing your body. And I can just tell you back when I was dieting heavily or really in, in the thick of it with my disordered eating and eating disorder, I just remember being so irritable. And I don't know, when you were listing that, doing that list, the first one you had on there was irritability. And I resonated with that so much. And I still do. That's probably the biggest thing that comes out as my sign that I'm not taking care of myself is irritability. Um, I mean, it came out this morning. I, I just get so short with the kids, short with myself. I start putting myself down. I'm not coming at myself with curiosity instead of judgment, what they say in the intuitive eating books. I'm just coming at myself with just anger and frustration. And that's just a sign for me that in that moment, I'm not giving myself good self-care. And it could even just mean I'm letting my brain take over and I'm futurizing. I start to think ahead or I think, oh my gosh, if this isn't happening now, then this is going to happen later. Or 
I can't even give you a good example, but this happens to me all the time where I'll just, something will happen and I'll just think about what that's going to mean in the future. I'm always a future, a futurizer. I'm always futurizing everything. It's like, I never look back. You know what they always say? Anxiety is when you look too much in the future. And as in depression is when you're always looking at the past. I've never looked at the past. Like if something happens, it's done over with. I never think about it twice. But I, my issue is that I'm always thinking about the future. What's going to happen in the future? If this doesn't happen now, then this is going to happen then. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is when I find myself getting into this sort of brain cycle of futurizing things, instead of, instead of stopping and meditating or being mindful of my thought and trying to quiet my brain a little bit, if I don't do that, then I become irritable. Or all the other things that you just said, if I continue it for the rest of the day or the rest of the week, my intimacy level decreases. I can't bond with Nick. I mean, truly, it does affect me. And that's my biggest issue is my brain. When I just can't slow it down, specifically as far as thinking into the future about everything, even the things my child does. Like Paige didn't eat her her, uh, guacamole toast this morning. Uh, (laughs) that I put her her calcium supplement in, which she had no idea about, right? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she's not getting enough calcium. She's going to break a bone. And I just start to think, and it's just ridiculous <laughs> and it doesn't stop. And then that, if I don't stop and, and be mindful of that, it affects everything that you just listed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whew. What about you, Nicole? It may be recency effect, but attempting to control people, places, and things over which I have no control. And I think this could be in part from just holding a leadership you know, position at work and working in healthcare probably amid a pandemic, like coming up on two years. I'm, I'm just like FML sometimes. Like when I think, oh, this week looks good. It's like, oh, who's dropping with COVID this week? And oh, you know, like it's just the past two years has been a constant I guess the best way I can describe it, and I, I think I texted to you this to you at some point when I was just like offloading my anxieties right now, is I feel like I kind of start in the morning with some type of texted crisis from work about so and so is not coming in or whatever it is, and then on the back end of my day, there's a good portion of the time that there may be something that happens at school with the kids or something with you know ch- childcare, and so. I think for me, self-care would look more like an overall reduction in to-dos that reduce my need to rely on others. Um, whether that means maybe not being a leader at some point in the future. I don't know, but it's stressful and it, it doesn't seem to be getting any less stressful. Uh, that seems attractive to me at times. I don't know that that's quite being authentic to my skill set or my my wants in my career, but I think what I've just figured out lately is like, I can't suck at home and at work. I can only suck at one. And when I'm relying on other people in both of those places, I need to kind of take the bull by the horn here, bull by the horns and and make some changes to need to rely less on others and creating a system or schedule that I can better manage would be a form of self-care. Uh, and like, for example, I sincerely regret signing up to co-chair the school's variety show. You probably knew that already, Gina. That should not shock you at all. The commitment is too much for me, and it's not a strength of mine, which also adds to the stress. So I'm trying to toggle between like this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I will be at the elementary school from 1 to 1.45, taking my lunch break to work on MC training. Next week, I have 
a rehearsal. I think uh, Thursday I also have a rehearsal for the intro dance after school. And then next week when we don't have our nanny after school, like there's two days of train, like of practice Wednesday and Thursday. And then the show is literally all day on Friday. Like the kid, the school all is bust in to see it. We spend the entire afternoon decorating and then the show is that night. So it's just like, I'm taking vacation time. I'm like oh my running gosh. to and fro. I'm like, who, why did I ever say yes? <laughs> um, and it was, yeah, I, I, I have FOMO. Like my friends were, my friends asked and I want, they have a different work arrangement than me. It's much more flexible. And I just need to next year say no. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Like you would have no problem with that. And I'm, I just, I say yes. And that's dumb. That is not yeah. good self-care because well, now I'm I pissed get, about it. I'm annoyed. I get all the details before doing it. Like, what exactly does this entail? And if I heard all that, you better believe I'd say no. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I know. Oh, regrets. You learned. Yeah. yeah. 10 more, 12 more days and we'll be done with this. Okay. So next question. When do you feel most intimate with your spouse? And it may, could be anything from a season in life or time of day, week, month, year. Very open question. Yeah. And I think that there's an obvious answer. I feel most intimate when we're both in low stress times of our lives, which if I'm being honest, it's been very rare lately, at least in the past year or two since COVID, uh, mainly because my husband's in sales. So that's where his stress is often coming from. Um, And I would say I, I did read your response to absolutely when we're on vacation. I mean, that's, again, a very low stress time. We're relaxed. We're just in the zone away from the hectic, you know, life that we usually lead. And uh, we're just having fun. So I feel very intimate with him at, at that point. Or if we're just out at a friend's house or with families and we're just, again, not thinking of anything other than just having fun and being relaxed. I would say generally the weekends are more intimate for us because during the week, we just have such a strict agenda where we're just going from one thing to another. It's get home, it's make dinner, it's go to gymnastics, it's podcast, it's do this, do that, get baths. So it's, and then by the time we go to bed, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm generally exhausted. You know, I- And what time do you go to bed? Well, I get in bed around 8.30 and then I generally turn- yeah, turn the lights off around between nine thirty and ten. What about you? Is that is that early or late? That's oh, late or early. Yeah, we've turned into total night owls. We're we're really bad. Well, I'm up at five, so mm-hmm. yeah, um, I don't get enough. I will. Sleep, probably. I will say also the two weeks after my period starts, I'm always in the mood, <laughs> and that which makes sense. I mean, that's ovulation. I think we were. That's what our bodies were made to. You know, really desire being intimate physically intimate as we are ovulating. I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're releasing an egg. We're supposed to make babies. Um, <laughs> not anymore. But anyway, that definitely helps intimacy too. And that's a time I think in, in the month when I'm, when I, I feel more, I guess, close with, with Nick, at least physically. What about you? Yeah. I mean, we'd probably be waiting until the end of time for me to get like fully in the mood. I, I don't know. It's, it's like, <laughs> if I'm being honest, it's, it's just not a priority. It's not my love language. I I don't think that, yeah, that that's just not a priority for me. But I will say it's important. I do recognize that. And it's certainly important for Mark. Um, I would say distraction, just getting away from distractions is helpful. So whether it's work or kids or technologies or to-dos around the house, 
I think my list of like like got to do's, and it's probably because of the cadence in which we're pushing out shows or I'm pushing out blog posts. But all of that, like, it doesn't end. It's just like the next one, like it's it's just it just keeps going, and that's that's good and bad. But there's never that like finality to any of it. It's it's an all the time thing on my to do list. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I think when the to-do list goes away, I feel closest with Mark. So I think of times, yes, like vacation or just weekends at home where the, the noise is less and by noise, Mm -hmm. I mean the to-dos, uh, Mm -hmm. just having that quality time together. And I think what we've really nailed down is it can be as simple as planning. And that seems a bit counterintuitive to what I just said, but intentional about making that designated time together that can be a bit more free of distraction and to do. So whether we plan that we're going to make something to eat or pick up dinner or deciding ahead of time if we're going to watch a certain movie, just something different, let's say, than maybe Monday through Friday. And then, yeah, that we can do after the kids go to bed. Nothing extreme. Um, mm-hmm. nothing extreme. Uh, certainly a couple's only trip is wonderful and all of that as well. But I think for us, it's really the effort and intention that creates the intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with we that. We had a great weekend in, in, in East Lansing this past weekend. We were just playful and it was fun. And we, I, I would say we really do some of our best talking in the car. Like we didn't have the radio or any type of music on the entire way there or back. And it was like two hours each way. But I, I mean, it was just good. Like we talked at dinner. Like sometimes I feel like we go out to dinner and it's just like we're like that old couple. And I refuse yes. to be the person on my phone. Oh, because I look at those couples and I'm like, that's so sad. Like talk to one another. Right. I, I mean, you just look bored. Uh <laughs> There's yeah, not that it never happens, but we're probably like both looking for something to show the other person. Anyway, it was just a really good weekend, and I think we feel like recharged. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, All right, Gina, you have said a few times that you're better at self care than others in your life. Interesting timing with our couples interview from a few weeks ago, but I'm curious as to whether you sense higher intimacy in your marriage than Nick, perhaps. Yeah. And I feel so bad. Like we're throwing him under the bus completely. He does a great job with self-care most of the time. He just has the one area that we've talked about. He knows that I just wish he would do better at. And I'm sure there are things that he wishes I would do better at. For example, listening. I'm a terrible listener and he knows that. I'll just say that. Um, But it's funny because I read your question and we did actually get in a tiny little argument somewhat recently about our sex life. So physical intimacy. He made a comment about it and it really turned me off, uh, 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 pun intended. <laughs> and he got me thinking that maybe he doesn't think it's as good as I do. Uh, but anyway, he tried to backtrack on the comment, but it was truly already too late. The words had already been spoken. So once they're out there, you know, you can't really take them back. Uh, but that being said, I would say that intimacy isn't just physical, obviously. And we all know that, like you said at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, so when I sense that Nick is stressed and not taking good care of himself, it's really hard for me to feel intimacy towards him. So when I, to answer your question, I, I I doubt I think that we're both sort of on the same page with how our relationship is as far as intimacy. I actually might even say that for me, his lack of self-care in that one area 
affects me just as much as it affects him as far as intimacy. Like I kind of said at the beginning here, I don't feel more intimate with him because I take better care of myself, quote unquote. I think that his lack of self-care sometimes actually actually prevents me from being able to feel intimacy with him. Does that does that make sense? So I don't think I think it actually goes both ways. At least for me because I'm an I guess I'm an empath uh, where I just feel his almost sadness and stress so much that it's you you might think that that would actually make me want to feel more intimate with him and help him and comfort him, but I am so bad at that. It's like it's almost just like uh, the opposite of it, it detracts me from him. When I see him like that, I just, I, it's, I sound like a terrible person right now. No, no. I just, it's, <laughs> it's what we said at the top of the show, which is we have to own our own happiness, right? And that starts with self-care and leads to intimacy, right? So if right. we can't rely well, on others to make ourselves happy. So but am I relying on him? But maybe it sounds like I'm relying on him. I don't know mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, him not taking care of himself in that regard. Like I'm not, he doesn't not take care of himself. I want to make that clear. He takes actually very good care of himself for a 40 year old. I think he does really, really well. Mm-hmm. I just, he gets very stressed and very irritable and I wish he would do something about that sometimes. And we've talked about this, but anyway, that does, seeing him like that makes me feel less intimacy towards him. Do you, th- what percentage do you think is related directly to his job? Probably a high percent. But here's the thing about Nick is that it would be any job. He's very much a perfectionist. I think that he could have any job and it wouldn't matter if it was in sales or management, anything. And he would put a lot of pressure on himself and therefore be stressed. That's just how he is. He's always been like that. And I think even even now he just has more pressure because he's got kids and a family, you know? So it's just, it's different. He's in his forties now and he's like, you know, he just puts more pressure on himself. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what job he has. He could do, he could be a hairdresser. I mean, I'm not saying that's a, like that's, I would think that's a low stress job where you wouldn't bring anything home, right? Mm-hmm. He would probably somehow find a way to stress himself out like at home if he was doing hair during the day. That's how he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have a ton to add, but I think there's a, sixth sense and like an intimacy sixth sense where Mm. I at least feel the lack of intimacy like there or just for let's just say closeness if I'm feeling a disconnect from Mark I'm like all right we got to do something about this and that's generally just quality time together that that may lead to physical intimacy I don't know but like I generally am on the same wavelength with him as far as like "Mm." It's time. Like we gotta like kind of spend some time together here. Like it's you know yeah. going from task to task. You know, just struggling through life. Like you know, one one day at a time. It can just get exhausting. And I, I think when you get caught up in that, the intimacy can go. And sometimes you feel like, how do you get it back? Like, mm-hmm. where do you start? Like, I feel so like just separate and isolated or whatever it is from you right now. And I think all couples have been there, but it's like, how do you get it back? And more time is more time doing the same is probably the the wrong answer. Like how do you course correct as quickly as possible? Right. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Not just, it's not intimacy. Intimacy is, isn't just sex. And for a lot of women, 
me and many I talk to, intimacy starts long before the bedroom. And Jose talked about this on our um, All About Sex episode, which was number 82. If you want to go back and listen to that one, it was very good. Uh, But if I'm not feeling close to Mark, the last thing I want to do is be physically intimate. And yet, physical intimacy can fuel further intimacy, just that feeling of closeness. And I guess what I'm getting at is that this cyclical withholding or withdrawing from physical intimacy can truly drive a wedge in just that overall closeness in the relationship. Is there anything that you do to head this off in your relationship, Tina? (laughs) Uh, Duh, I have sex with my husband. (laughs) So it's so funny. I noticed this so much. Nick gets what I would consider a shock of adrenaline when we are physically intimate. In other words, like if we have sex on a Monday, he is like, is all about me for like three days. And then it slowly <laughs> starts to go away, right? Until we have sex again. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think maybe in some I ways. snorted. <laughs> They're such simple creatures, aren't they? <laughs> I know. So easy. But I think I probably get the same way, truthfully, even though I don't notice it as much. I don't know if he notices it about me, but I, if I really think about it, I think I do actually feel closer with him after we have sex for maybe even for a couple of days, maybe if I, if I truly think about it. But anyway, knowing this about him and maybe about me, I do prioritize sex. I, for me, it's like a workout. I know I have to do it, but also I never regret it. And in fact, I generally really do enjoy it. Um, so I, I truly believe that just like what you said, sex begets intimacy and, and I think that's beyond physical intimacy. So it's not just like the more sex you have, the more sex you want. It's really just the more sex we have, I feel like just the more intimate I feel with him, the closer I feel with him in so many ways. And so that just motivate, motivates me to do it even when I don't necessarily want to do it. So I go out of my way and I truly do. And I'll just be like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not in the mood right now, but what, I mean, what's the harm? And I always end up enjoying it like 99% of the time. So let's just do this again, like a workout. So yeah, that's my strategy. I just, I do it and, uh, and don't ever stop. I, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll talk to Nick after he goes out with his friends and he'll tell me stories about some of like, what of his friends say? And I think to myself, I never want that to happen in our relationship, you know, where like they're never having sex anymore. I'm like, I will not be that couple. Like if we stop having sex, that's when I know it's over. Hmm. <laughs> Do you disagree? Yeah. Oh, oh, this is these are the times I wish certain people in my life didn't listen to the show, but we're going there. Okay. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it's funny because I look. <laughs> oh, God, he's going to kill me. OK, I think <laughs> that Mark. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. OK, I think <laughs> that Mark is um has a healthier appetite in this regard than he has in our past. I cannot explain the why, but I have said to him before, I'm like, do you remember when we lived in Columbus, Mark? Did we ever have sex? Or when we lived in Tulsa, did we ever have sex? He's like, I can't remember ever having sex in that room. I'm like, we didn't have kids. Like nothing was going on in our, there was no reason not to, but that was by far the desert of our relationship in that regard. (laughs) I don't know why, but it was that Double income, no kids, part of our life where we were having the least amount of sex. And interesting. It's funny. I don't know how we have earned ourselves this reputation, but it's it's kind of a joke now amongst like our our friends, like our couples friends that like we have the most active life in that way. I'm like, y'all, 
that is so sad if that's the case. But they have <laughs> built up in their mind that we just have this like romp like going on all the time. And that's that is not the case at all. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. I'm like so distracted. My palms are sweaty. Like this makes me uncomfortable. Um, you just never know who's listening. But OK, we're there. Um, yes. I, just what you said, Gina. I think the hardest part is sometimes getting started. And I have a lot of male friends, a lot, a lot, a lot. And this is they all tend to kind of get the same way, uh, which is like I get hangry if I haven't eaten. They get like the same way about sex. Like if they have they just turn into jerks and then it's like, okay, if you treat your spouse or person like like they're not going to want to be intimate with you when you've reached this point of like just being straight up nasty and resentful. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. So, yeah, how how do you deal with that in a relationship as a form of self-care that can fuel intimacy moving forward? Um Oh, my goodness. I guess just one. You want to say something? Go for it. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I have a thought, but I'll I'll wait. Okay. I, I think one thing in terms of self-care, because I think what a lot of people think, and, and I certainly have been there, is perhaps this season of our lives um, that also a lot of our listeners are in is probably that season of maybe a postpartum body or whatever it is. Or things don't look or move or feel the way that they used to. Your partner cares so little <laughs> about mm-hmm. what you look like, what you smell like, what you move like. They want you to be interested in the physical re- relationship, in the physical intimacy. Like the desire, even if it's a bit of an act, uh, as long as they perceive it as mm, you're on board, that goes so far. I mean, that's like the biggest feedback that Mark has given me is. I don't want to have sex with you when you don't want to have sex with me. Yes. Rinse, oh my repeat, gosh. rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, right? Like it do, it's not productive. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just say, okay, Nick, go ahead and do it. He's like, wait, no, you don't. I'm like, oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I want to do this. You know, I just want to get it over with. But he hates that. But I'm thinking to myself, why wouldn't you just want to, you know, just be you? You know what I mean? <laughs> he does not like that. And they I don't are think men in general do. yet complex. Okay. <laughs> I know. What the heck? <laughs> They want us to want it when they want it as frequently as they want it. And then they're happy creatures. Um, Oh, my goodness. Uh, But uh, spot on, Gina, what you said. It's a part of our just like exercise. You know, the hardest part is sometimes getting started, but you'll never look back and go, man, I really wish we wouldn't have had sex yesterday. Like, that's not going to happen. Right. Never. Maybe unless there's an unplanned pregnancy or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) That might be the one time. (laughs) That might be the one time. Um, all that to say, you know, sometimes I may not want to be physically intimate, but I'll get there for Mark. And it's always something that makes me feel closer to him. Just what you said with, with you and Nick. Um, if nothing else, I may start with being intentional about laying my head on him for a bit when I'm reading at night and we're in bed or holding hands or just kind of like putting my arm around him, like maybe at church. I'm just thinking about times that we're not like that PDA couple, but that's just a time where distractions are less and we're physically sitting next to each other. Or maybe just a quick peck before leaving work. Because I did start to notice it like a year or two ago. I'm like, whoa, like we don't kiss like unless we're going to get it on. Like that's kind of weird. Like we need to get back to basics here. That's a good one. I like that. Kissing before we leave. We try to do that too. Oh my goodness. All right. (laughs) I know. And this question is just for you because I have nothing to add. I'm a weirdo. PMS impacts you um, a lot more than me. And you've shared with 
me certainly off the show and with our listeners that it can impact your level of intimacy with Nick. Can you unpack that a bit for us and any self-care to improve the negative impact of PMS? Sure. So I think the one the one thing about my PMS time of the month is that my breasts get really large and I actually feel sexier, which I'm going to say that. I do feel sexier when my breasts look larger. And I know that's not a good thing necessarily or a bad thing, whatever. It just is. Uh, so that kind of helps. But at the same time, you know how it is during PMS or most women do. A lot of women do. You just get moody and irritable. Uh, and so I usually don't really want sex during that week. And then it's like right before my period. So I don't want the sex before my period. Obviously, I don't want it during my period. I shouldn't say obviously, but that's just not something not your preference. generally do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what I try very hard to do is just be aware of, just be aware that the time is coming up. I, I try to take extra calcium supplements and magnesium. And I do truly believe that helps with everything from bloating, moodiness. Uh, I think I take 250 milligrams of magnesium. I think we talked about that once. Uh, and then I just take a little bit of extra calcium, uh, maybe like 200 milligrams extra to 500 milligrams extra. And I do believe it helps my mood. That way I can still remain, you know, taking care of myself, that that self-care is there and that intimacy is there and it doesn't, it doesn't leave me. Because when I'm not taking care of myself, I have no desire whatsoever for any type of intimacy. Uh, so just a little, just a little tip for people who are struggling with PMS, calcium and magnesium does help. Talk to your doctor before, you know, taking extra supplements. I think anything, even the innocuous ones like calcium and magnesium, I would still do that. But it does help me in my moods uh, during that time of the month for sure. Magnesium keeps popping up more and more. It's just like this great. It's like the great, vitamin D. Yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah. Hollywood vitamin and followed with magnesium. Close second. Yep. Well, all right. Stepping away from marriage and into friendships a bit. Uh, you don't need to name names, but when you think of your closest friends or friendships, what makes them cl the closest, most meaningful friendships to you? Yeah, uh, I would say someone that I can act myself around and tell just about anything to. Uh, and, you know, I used to be the candid RD. I'm just a very mm -hmm. open and honest person. I almost to a fault, I would say, but I want someone, I want a friend who will listen to me, even my crazy stories and weird weirdness and someone who doesn't look at me differently because of it and who will just listen and and not change their opinion of me. And if they do, then they're probably not my friend. And that's okay. That's fine. Not everyone's going to like me and I'm okay with that. I also like a friend that I can have a two-way conversation with. So in other words, back and forth, listening to each other and then asking each other questions. I will say I recently had a... a a lunch date with a friend and I realized that maybe they're just not a good friend of mine because literally it was a one-sided conversation all about them. No questions about how I was doing. Mm. The whole conversation was about her. And truly when I was in the moment, I didn't really even realize what was going on. And afterwards I was like, wait a second. I just spent an hour long lunch with this friend and said not a one thing about myself. Not that I have to talk about myself, but a true friend goes back and forth and cares about what's going on in your life and, you know, wants to tell you about what's going on in theirs. It's it's a good, you know, mixture of listening and talking. Um, so yeah. What about you? But I want to add also yeah. that you are a true friend. You are one of those people that I can be myself. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> these. Yeah, it's, it is hard. Just a foundation of like-mindedness, I would say. 
uh, just like yourself, trust in being my authentic self and kind of that ability to give honest uh, feedback and receive honest feedback, even when it's maybe isn't something I want to hear. Um, I think one of the reasons I'm drawn to friendships more with men is that they tend to be a bit more carefree and judgment-free, big emphasis on that judgment-free. I have just found that women can be very brutal and straight up cruel to one another. And a very, very wise dietitian friend of mine who I met early on, actually in Columbus, um, and she was she was like in the ninth inning of her career. She has since retired and is like living her best life traveling the world. But she really took me under my wing when I worked in renal. Um, and she taught me so much just about what it means to be an awesome friend and woman and her feedback was really not feedback, but her message that I just grasped onto because it it just meant a lot and it just it just hit home was that the women we feel closest to or that we should feel closest to or really pursue that intimate relationship with are those that are cheerleaders in our lives. Um, so they're they're not the women who feel competitive or jealous or. Um, vindictive or whatever those those feelings are. There's not that competitive edge to it. It's truly somebody who is in your life celebrating and cheering on your wins and wholeheartedly and authentically rooting you on. And those are the women, when I think about it, that's who I want to be friends with. I don't want to compete. I, I want to look for inspiration in my life and cheer others on in their journeys and successes and stop the comparison game, offering support and love along along the way. Like I think true, strong women who I want in my life are people that would want to like elevate me to elevate themselves and just have this like synergistic back and forth, like take over the world kind of approach to life. I don't know. No, I love that. And it's it's kind of the same thing that makes a good coworker. Mm-hmm. Someone on your team that is not going to throw you under the bus and is going to be not going to be jealous, you know, not going to if you if you come up with an idea, they're not going to say it was theirs. They're going to give you all the credit and be happy that you did it. Yeah. Someone who's 100 percent on your side. Yeah. Wants you to succeed just as much as they want themselves. Maybe maybe not quite as much, but yeah, they they care about the success of you. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a really I actually just was talking to somebody on my team today about just that dietitian sharing that with me and how much I've just held on to it over the years and and really holding myself to that standard and and wanting to surround myself with people who do the same. All right. Is this our last question here? All right. So self-care is harder for some people. How do you or how can you ensure Others nearest and dearest to you are providing self-care or is self-care an independent activity and everyone has their own self-care needs that they need to address and take ownership of? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we've sort of hit on this already a little bit, my need to control others. And I'm realizing now that, you know, obviously my happiness is only in my control. And you could say the same thing about my self-care. Like My self-care is my problem. And so I need to remind myself that that Nick's self-care is also his problem. I can give him gentle nudges uh, and, and recommendations, but all in all, it is it is him. So, um, you know, you, you said that you don't think I'm someone who tries to change people. Well, I would disagree with that. I am working on that. But I am trying, I'm starting to realize that trying to change others, even their self-care is futile. 
Um, the best thing you can do, I guess, is lead by example, especially with my kids. I guess I do try to talk to my kids about self-care, but most importantly, I'm just trying to show them self-care by having them see me take care of myself. And I think that's so, so important, just like with anything else in life when you're raising kids, right? You want to lead by example and let them see you do what you want them to do, right? Instead of just telling them. Um, so like I said, I, I would say this year, one of my big goals is just trying hard not to worry about other self-care as much. And, you know, and not just Nick. I, you know, I keep talking about Nick because he's the one that's closest to me at this point, but really also anyone in my family, my friends, my my kids, obviously. I I I take ownership of it so, so much, but I need to just let it go and to continue to lead by example and see where that gets me. It's just like with food. It's really the same exact thing, you know? Think about raising your kids as intuitive eaters or being an intuitive eating parent. You can't change the way your kids eat, but you can lead by example, give them gentle nudges, bring in the more balanced foods, eat the more balanced foods in front of them, don't have any foods that are off limits, just very gentle uh, and not forceful. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I got, mm-hmm. I think of my kids too. And, and just like you said, being a role model, I'm working through it, but I do daily feel quite immense guilt for exercising after work while our after school and our nanny still here. Uh, and I've come a long way. I, I feel like the bougiest of bougie when I say that, but it is truly a, that has been something that we've tried to put that help in the home in place to help balance the craziness of our two full-time working jobs while maintaining a self-care routine. And that's that's been really helpful for me because I I my body just doesn't do morning morning workouts well. Um <laughs> so I I consider her part of my self-care needs and acknowledging that it's what allows me to be more present, uh fully present with my kids and my family. Um after after work and in the morning hours as well. Uh, and I think for Mark and my closest friends, it's and, and I would lump you in here, Gina. It's learning more about habits and tendencies to know how people in my life recharge. And rather than finding fault or issue in it not being my form of self-care, giving respect to the fact that it's their form of self-care. And in terms of you, I do think of you put very clear boundaries on things and you say no. And for, I've, I've said this on the show, but for a long time, I was kind of like, jerk, like, how is she telling me no? Like, I'm busy too. Like, that was my immediate reaction. And now my reaction is like, huh, Gina, like, respects the hell out of herself and is like, nope, not going to work for me. And I'm learning from that. And I, I just think it's really great for my husband. He loves to take baths, like hot, hot, hot baths. And he likes to sleep a lot. And I have just learned that kind of like sex, he is a happier, more productive and more intimate person with me in life when he gets those things than if I'm Mm -hmm. complaining about. And that is how he recharges. He needs sleep. I need a book. Like, so he has, we have just kind of laid that out there that, you know, I may not want to, you know, snuggle or have sex all night, but my recharge is, you know, I'm going to read a book tonight and maybe tomorrow night we'll do that. Um, but just kind of opening up those, those conversations. And I've learned that communication about wants and wishes and needs 
uh, works a lot better than waiting for the day that he anticipates everything I need or want because that's never going to be <laughs> that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, or manipulating or building resentment, being a slippery slope into nothing productive. And I haven't fully product- perfected those skills, but I'm I'm acknowledging them a lot more and noticing when I'm I'm going there m- mentally and emotionally. Um, and I see it in in my work as well. And at work, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I'm glad that you that you mentioned the whole like re- realizing what sort of gives Mark energy and is his mm-hmm. form of self-care and when it's different from yours. I would say the same thing. And actually, Terry kind of helped me realize this. Nick and all the women listening right now are going to want to murder me. <laughs> this is going to sound so weird, but I... <laughs> My husband is so odd. He recharges by doing like the laundry and cleaning. <laughs> and I, I never really realized that that's his form of self-care, but like he'll go in the basement and he'll do the laundry for like hours. But I think he actually enjoys it. And that's his form of self-care. <laughs> it's so weird. But Terry pointed that out to me once. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he'll go down there, have the TV on or listen to, you know, he'll listen to sports radio and he'll just do the laundry, you know, have a drink of some sort. And he'll just, you know, la di da di da It's his own little time. And I never really thought about it like that. I just was annoyed that he was always doing laundry. And I know, again, you want to murder me. No, but it was I'm just, just like, thinking, no wonder you want to have sex all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I pick up a sponge and Mark's like humping my leg. I mean, if, if I like disappeared and did laundry for hours on end, I mean... He, I mean, I would just be like the hottest thing to him. Really? He would like that? Oh, yes. I mean, if I start being like overly productive around the house, because I will, domestic duties are just not my strength. I'll be honest. He he is just like, oh, you're turning me on like you're cleaning. I mean, that's like a joke in our house. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So maybe that is what it is. I don't know. But I get annoyed by it because I like I'll come upstairs after we put the kids to bed. And I'm just waiting for him to come upstairs, waiting and waiting. Like, okay, let's. I want to I'm like ready, you know? And he'll be down in the basement doing laundry. And I'm just like, what the hell? Wait, ready or ready? Like ready. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then he's and like, so, I'm tired. Yeah. He'll, he'll come upstairs. And by the time he comes upstairs, I'm reading a book and I am falling asleep because he's been doing laundry for two hours. Just, oh, anyway, I know it's ridiculous, but that's his self-care. And I've got to just let it go. His self-care is different than my self-care. He will never lay in bed and read a book. He'll never understand that. And that's okay. He doesn't have to. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. So oh, continue. So funny. <laughs> oh, well, I, I just think the big pivot. Okay. I think this <laughs> translates into work too. No, 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 not at all. Because intimacy is is everywhere. And I have a super great leader at work. And she, I think she's an empath. I mean, she's just really thoughtful. I, I don't know how else like just most simply, she's very thoughtful. And I recently just had a super candid, vulnerable conversation with her and it went really well. And I prefaced it by saying, I don't know exactly where my head and my heart are at right now, but I just feel like this is like on my heart to like open up and share with you about like where I'm at with work and the balancing act of of momming and, and all of that. And it just went so well. And it's funny because if I would have listened to Mark, and my HR husband's cringing right now, he works in HR and he was like, you need to go in with a plan. And I'm like, no, I'm going in with my heart. And he's like, bad, bad plan. And I'm like, no, I know my leader and I, I, I want to have, this is an exploratory conversation that I just want to have. And it went really, really well. Um, so awesome. I, 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 I just kind of followed my heart on that one. 
Uh, da, 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 da. But yes, at work, you know, attempting to control people, places, things, it, it, it's just, it's leading to unhappiness at work. And, and so not having those conversations um, with my leader is a huge misstep in the in, in self-care. Um, I think yeah. just assessing what's going on at work, considering that hopefully second to sleep, it's where you're spending the bulk of your time if you're working full time. And so being unhappy in the workplace might just be a good place to set some kind of self-care behaviors in place because it's going to translate into a lot, including intimacy in those relationships and whatever, you know, other relationships you have outside of work. Um, Oh, and this is just an aside, but my leader, the same one, she put on her direct reports outlook calendars, a weekly meeting, and it happens on Wednesdays about four o'clock. I think it's scheduled to, to ding at me, but it says, what have you done for yourself this week? And it is like a faux meeting that is on my outlook. And not only that, but during our um, like annual like evals and goal setting and all of that, she requires her team to make a smart goal that is specific to self-care. And so my goal, for example, is five minutes or more, at least 80% of the work days to do something active either during lunch or at some point during for a break at work. And she asks me when we meet monthly, how are you doing on this goal? I have like a, a, a heat map of like how I'm doing. And I'll tell you, 2022 is going really bad in this way. And I think it's impacting how I feel about work. But she wants to know, what percentage of time are you taking five minutes out of your day to stretch, walk, do yoga, pick up some weights that are in your office, whatever it is. So I think as a, it just shows me that she cares. And if my boss is finding enough value in asking me these questions, it just reiterates how important it is. And PS, by the way, her PhD was done in resiliency on the subject of resiliency. So I thoroughly trust her opinion on all of this stuff. So just, just a little like, to end it with work um, and and those relationships. But I thought that that was all um, a part of intimacy in all the ways and those strong, meaningful relationships. Yeah, we added added smart wellness goals to our yearly reviews this year. But I I love the idea more about bringing it up monthly because if you you have a yearly review once a year and you talk about a wellness goal, I mean, come on, are you really going to remember that or actually do anything about it? You know, following up on it monthly is is really smart. Actually, we could do it on uh, during our yearly review, and I and then I could easily with my direct reports follow up. You know, weekly or monthly. So that's something I should do. I, I kind of like that reminder. That's, that's a great idea. And you could find some system. Like I have a a calendar hanging in my office, like a, a, a paper. Are you proud of me, Gina? It's actual paper. <laughs> but I can circle then or put an X on yay or nay, and then at a glance I can say, okay, one one day this week or two days this week, I I did my five minutes or I always aim for more, by the way, like if I actually had a lunch break, that would be great. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah. Anyway. You got to make it realistic though. So five yep. minutes, that's a start. Yep. Love it. Cool. All right. Anything to add before we close? No, I don't think so. I think we unpacked a lot and, uh, I'm ready to go get intimate with Nick. <laughs> oh, all right. So you're, hey, I don't, I was going to necessarily mean physical. Oh, I was going to ask if you were evening people or morning people, but I didn't know if that was appropriate for the show. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Any woman that's a morning person, like definitely evening. I've never been a morning person. It's never been my thing. Like in the morning, I feel like it's impossible for me to even enjoy it truthfully. Mm. Yeah. There you go. I don't know. That's me. All right. Well, so evening coming up on March 6th, we'll be dishing with Sally Kuzumchak, the voice behind the popular nutrition blog, 
Real Mom Nutrition, who's from Columbus, Ohio. We cannot wait to have her on. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdish.podcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone, until next time, be well. And Nicole, talk to you soon. Take care, Tina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.